Welcome to Freedom Matters Today. This is Michael J. Sutton. It is December the 4th, 2023. Freedom Matters Today looks at freedom from a Christian perspective. It would be remiss of me to ignore the unfolding tragedy in the Middle East. It would be remiss of me because what is happening there is undoubtedly intentional genocide of the Palestinian people. It would be remiss of me because every week we have, at Freedom Matters Today, since we began, looked at the identity of Jesus Christ, his actions, his words, his life, his person. And we have done so because we believe Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. Jesus is a God-made flesh dwelling among us. Jesus also was a Jew, and he lived in Palestine. He lived at a time of great prejudice. He lived at a time of great violence. He lived at a time of great misunderstanding, not only between people and each other, but between people and God. Not only between the, the Jewish people and their God, but between all other peoples and their understanding of God. For Christians, the good news of Jesus Christ comes through the revelation of God in what we call the Old Testament or Hebrew Bible. And the ancestors of faith the beginning of faith in a way of the testimony of faithful men and women does not begin with the popes or the churches or the famous western people in the church in the middle ages nor does it begin with mary or any of those saints but it begins way back with abraham and isaac and jacob whose name was Israel, and David, and Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Joel, and Amos, and all the great cloud of witnesses who have testified in their lives to the coming of the Messiah. And we believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised one of God. And all of this took place. The promise, the anticipation the expectation of the Messiah, it all took place against the backdrop of the Middle East, which is really a tiny piece of land compared to many other territorial uh, territorial sections of the world, contrasted to, to Africa, a vast continent, or to Russia, a vast country. They say in one part of Russia the sun is setting, and on the other part of Russia the sun is rising. Not so in the Middle East. In the Middle East, millions of people live crammed together in one of the highest urban settings on the planet. And for many of them, they're there because of what I have said, that this is a place of great spiritual, historical significance, not only for Christianity, but for Israel, for Judaism, and for Islam. But the great tragedy of what is happening is that the children of Abraham, as so-called, those who claim inheritance from Abraham, Christians, Jews and Muslims, 
have spent a better part of 2,000 years butchering and killing each other in the name of religion. Even though Jesus said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And St. Paul reminds us again in Ephesians, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, forces of darkness and places of evil in this world. And yet, those who call themselves Christians, those who call themselves Muslims and Jews, have for the better part of the last 70 to 80 years been butchering and killing each other in the Middle East. And how do you think God feels about all of this? What we know is that more children have been murdered in the last few months in Gaza than the entire um, the entire number of men and women and children who were killed in the terrible attacks on the Twin Towers and 9-11. More children have been killed. More women have been killed. And the list of the dead, the list of the wounded, grows and grows and grows. And instead of a measured, mature, sensible, sophisticated debate, what we have in Australia, in particular because it's my land, is a debate of the most puerile, simplistic, idiotic form. And the idea is that anyone who dares to assert the rights of Palestinians to life is derided as anti-Semitic, which is complete and utter nonsense. And what we are seeing here is a revision back to the good old days of COVID hysteria, where you're not allowed to have an opinion aside from the government narrative, where there is only one truth. Well, let me tell you a few truths from the scriptures. Thou shalt not kill, says the Lord. It's one of the commandments of Moses in the Torah. It's amazing listening to the Christian fascists split little hairs in their discussion saying, well, Jesus, the, Moses isn't talking about killing people in war. That's justifiable. I tell you, friend, if you know a man or woman who has fought in a war, give them a hug. Walk with them through their pain and their suffering because every single person who goes off to fight, in a sense, forfeits their life for the sake of their nation because they're no longer the same again. And you, friend, send them off to fight. Send them off to die. Or you sit back and you drink your coffee and you sip your Chardonnay and you watch your TV. Enjoy your life. And those poor men and women, after fighting, those who are not blown to bits, those who are not killed, come back and they're told and expected to pick up the pieces. And then the victims of war, those whose homes are blown to pieces, those whose lives are completely shattered. We are told to shut up about it. Shut up, says the media personalities on the radio. Shut up, says the media. Shut up, says the politicians. Shut up, says so many people. They all say the same thing. Shut up. Sit down, shut up and do as you're told. There's only one answer. Support Israel. Support Israel. Even the church is lining up. Many of them are not saying a thing. 
as always, unless there's money involved, of course, the church will speak up if there's money money to be had, as they did in COVID hysteria. But they're not saying anything. Or if they are saying something, they return to this puerile idiotic discussion where there is only one answer. Gaza is evil, Israel is right. Stand with Israel sounds very much like stand with Ukraine. Remember, stand with Ukraine? We found out recently that the that the Ukrainian government was offered a peace deal back in March 2022 from Russia. A comprehensive peace deal, but, in, but instead the Ukrainians rejected it because the British told them to. They said, no, no, we don't want to negotiate. You should keep fighting for another two years or three years. And all the thousands of people have killed since, been blown to pieces since. All because Britain didn't want is didn't want Ukraine and Russia to reach a peace settlement. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, says the scriptures, said Christ. And yet the churches are saying, no, 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 we don't want peace. What we want is the outcome of a good war. Boy, times have changed, friends. Times have changed. If you want to sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind, friends, for it is coming. The whirlwind is coming. You can't turn the world upside down, God's world, and say right is wrong and up is down and expect there to be no consequences. So the question today for us, as we reflect upon the tragedy unfolding in Gaza, in Israel, the continuing tragedy in Ukraine and the Donbass region, the continuing tragedy in Africa, and the many other tragedies in this world which the media is not even interested in investigating or discussing. The most important question for Christians really is, does Jesus point us to God? If he doesn't point us to God, if he doesn't show us the way to God, then what's the point? Why follow him? Why bother with all this talk? Christianity then is simply a load of nonsense if Jesus does not point us to God. We've been looking at freedom from past and prejudice, and we're only beginning on this journey together, looking at this theme. Last year we looked at freedom from fascism, freedom from fear and despair. Now we're looking at freedom from past and prejudice. This is a vast subject, but in this beginning of our journey, we're looking at what the author of the letter to the Hebrews said about past and prejudice. Freedom from the past is freedom from the things that define us and bind us, which prevent us from knowing God and from knowing ourselves. For many people, it is the church that binds them. For others, it is their rationalist thinking. For others, it is their belief that faith is about emotion, miracles and wonders. Yet for others, it is apathy. These days, as the old West crumbles, leading to a new dawn, a stubborn belief in the reimagined Western heritage is another chain that binds many. For Jesus Christ, the past both defined and bound him in life and in death. His past was that he was a nobody, 
and yet claim to be the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One of God. His humanity bound him in life and death, as some could not perceive the presence of God in a man. But for others, this held no obstacle. But their contention was that he could not survive death, and even if he could, his claims to be the authentic, exclusive Son of God would be untenable, offensive and unacceptable. Freedom from prejudice is the way we see ourselves and others based on the things that divide us. For Jesus, prejudice was a stumbling block for those close to him, and it was all nonsense to those who were not. Many could not see Jesus as the Son because God had said that no one could look on the face of God and survive. And their belief was that the presence of God was so divorced from our world that God would not deign, dare, or degrade himself from intimacy with his creation. This divine distance between Yahweh and his people, a tradition held to so vigorously in the Hebrew Bible, means and meant that Jesus could not substantiate his claims. More importantly, perhaps, the radical idea that Jesus offered salvation to all, even those outside of Israel, was so unbelievably subversive, offensive and contrarian that it must have been wrong. The claims of Christ and the early Christians at his death brought to an end the old division between the Jews and other nations. Is to our ears the kind of faith, salvation and life that might be so eternally comfortable. But to them it was irredeemably unacceptable. For the Jew of the first century, Yahweh was their God. And whilst others might be brought in to this family of faith, the proposition that the Messiah himself might be God incarnate, a man with love for all, even the outcast, the sinner, and the morally degenerate, was unacceptable. In our world, in the 21st century, we embrace the proposition that Jesus came for all, that God loves all, and that God wants to know all. But this was not the belief of the Jews at the time of Christ, and it was and remains not the view of many people of all faiths today. The identity of Jesus, therefore, remains the most important question facing humanity. The identity of Jesus is at the heart of what it means to be human. If it doesn't matter, then all bets are off, and there is no forgiveness. And if there is no forgiveness, then nothing matters at all. And we can dance happily to the precipice of war, conquest and death. But if Jesus matters and forgiveness matters, then our whole enterprise of life will be forever changed. Jesus brings freedom from our past and prejudice. It is Jesus, the Son of God, the message of God, who enables us to see our past and confront our prejudice so we might live in complete freedom. We have been focusing the last few weeks our attention on a few scant verses of a most remarkable letter, unsigned, 
mysterious in the canon of the New Testament found at the end of our Bibles near another obscure and often neglected letter from James. The letter to the Hebrews has so much to say that it would be remiss of me to run quickly through it. These verses are as follows, written before 70 AD or CE. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So far, we have seen that the Son of God is the message of God, the final word of God to those whose ancestors heard God speak in many and various ways through the prophets. We have discovered that this Son, Jesus of Nazareth, is both the heir to all things and the one through whom God created the world. Hearing these words spoken, rattle us, challenge us, and perplex us, and we wonder whether the author is being poetic or profound. There is great poetry here, but it is also, I believe, his intention to be profound, to assert his belief that Jesus was a man, but also the Son of God. And he does so by breaking chronology to shape his story of the Son of God. The Son's inheritance, because of his time on earth, is that he is heir to all things. But then he darts back to the beginning and tells us that the Son, before his birth on earth, created all things. Next he tells us about the current character of the Son, radiant in the glory of God and his exact being. And then he darts back to the life of the Son, his death and ascension. There are two places in the mind of the author, the present and the past. The present is a consequence of his life, the present is a consequence of his life, and the past is a hint of his eternal character. The Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is a man, but it also teaches most certainly that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, who became a man, and in this great mystery, the Saviour of the world. It is this mystery we are exploring today, how Jesus points to God. The simple gospel message that Christians dribble out and preachers spout does not do justice to the identity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is because, for them, Jesus is not the one described in Hebrews 1, 1-4. They don't know this Jesus. They constantly apologise for Jesus. They airbrush away the politically incorrect aspects of God and they shut their ears to the Spirit. Certainly, in the writings of the Puritans, some Roman Catholic writers and a few in Orthodoxy, we gain a glimpse of the grandeur, the power and the kingship of the Son, the majesty of his identity, the wonder of his actions, and the beauty of his words. Sadly, we in the West 
have so dumbed down our faith, so reduced our belief, so undermined our spirituality, that we drink not the best vintage, but diluted lemonade. If you like the mystery of God, then you are sure to like the glory of God. It is a difficult thing to talk about the glory of God because the idea of glory makes little sense, and it is difficult to put this concept into words that make sense. We have already discovered that the author of the letter to the Hebrews says things that many Christians think they understand, but I'm not sure they do. Many things that sound familiar, but I'm not sure they are. And many things that people think will bring them closer to God, but I'm not sure they will. It is not a book for the faint-hearted, and it is not a book for people who think they know it all. What is he talking about? I've already argued that the author is speaking of the Son in his present condition. He is the radiance of God. Not he was the radiance of God. I believe that the author is being intentional here. Nevertheless, I would be remiss in ignoring his life on earth. There are many ways the Son of God was the radiance of the glory of God in his earthly state. The Son of God was radiant in the way he lived, showing us that God does not approve of the proud, the wealthy, the arrogant and the wicked, but he approves of those who are humble, poor and faithful. In this, the Son was radiant in his example, the example he set for his disciples, his followers, in pressing them to wash each other's feet, in impressing upon them the need to take up their cross daily, deny themselves and follow him. And he, through his life, he showed them the kind of person they should be and could be. The Son of God was radiant in his submission to the will of his Father in heaven, to whom he prayed regularly, to whom he directed the attention of his disciples, and the one with whom he had his closest relationship. He was radiant in the glory of God by elevating his Father in heaven. Jesus did not claim to be giving a new message, one authored by himself. Rather, he saw himself as doing the will and the work of his Father in heaven, and that all that he did and said, he did and said in the name of his Father. The Son was also radiant in his submission under death, which was the reason he came. Certainly as the entire New Testament claims, and it was in this submission, this lowering of himself, that God, his heavenly Father, saw in the Son the justification for his eventual elevation. He humbled himself and was exalted. And herein is the great principle of God, that God hates the proud but loves the humble and that God presses down on those whom he loves so that in due time they might be lifted up. The Son is also the radiance of the glory of God in his current position. He is radiant in the glory of God because the Son embodies the grace of God. He understands our plight, understands our situation and understands our position because he lived as one of us. The Son understands, and so He can sympathize with us. He can appreciate our life, our weaknesses, our temptations. For He also experienced and endured these temptations. 
The sun is also the radiance of the glory of God because he embodies and expresses the love of God by standing on our behalf before the majesty in heaven. Jesus is the one who speaks to God on our behalf, who sticks up for us when no one else will, who defends us before God because he stood for us and stands for us. The sun is also the radiance of the glory of God because he embodies the peace of God. It was the death of the sun, for sin, our sin, your sin, my sin, which brought about peace between us and God, enabling us to know God and for God to see us as his children. The author is not telling us that Jesus is a bright light in the sky like the glorious stars or suns or comets. He is speaking of his identity, his character and his record. The radiance of the glory of God is a direct consequence of the life of the sun on earth. His radiance lights our eyes so we might see God. His radiance lights up God so God might be seen and light shines in all the dark places of the world. This is important. This is critical. And even today it is the most important thing in the world. As I said last week, Christianity is the crossroads in the West and Christians have a choice. Return to God. Return to the Bible. And return to the identity, the actions and the words of Jesus. Or... Fight for the Christian culture, fight for Christian politics, and fight for political relevance. I do not, do not know what might happen, and if the second choice is made, perhaps you will bring Australia to a Christian nation with Christian laws, Christian principles, and Christian people. This road will be a violent, bloody, difficult one. And God will not go with you. For he does not promise to go with you, nor will he support you, for you will walk alone. We do, however, have a promise that God honours those who honour the Son. We have a promise that God will guard the deposit. And we have a promise that God honours those who do the will of God. With every coming issue, churches will be divided and further divided, more will leave, more will leave, more will go. And churches have a choice whether to follow Jesus or fight the culture war. As I said last week, they've chosen the culture war. Good luck, you'll fail. The sun is a radiance of the glory of God in both what he did on earth and how he lives in heaven. I doubt that many churches will even bother to focus much on Jesus because they're too, too busy making money or pushing their agenda or getting involved in the, future, in the culture war. There are so few of you left now in the church and all you do is hate each other and you all claim to follow Jesus but who he is, what he has done and where he sits is, is of no importance to you. And this is the greatest tragedy of all because God does not work for you. God does not do your bidding and God is not on your side and for that you will never forgive him. So when you look at the stars or a bright light, know this. But the sun is the radiance of the glory of God. And if you know him, you know God. And if you trust him, you trust God. And if you see him, you see the face of God. Is that 
not enough. Remember, freedom matters today because you matter to God. Talk to you next week.